Yeah. What's up, Doc? You're listening to the Movie Rob Minute Podcast. Keep on listening or I shall blow up the earth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 83 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-ki-yay our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and once again joining me today is John Bampton, J-Bam, from the Dirty Harry Minute. Welcome back to the show, John. I'm dreadfully sorry, but Mr. Bampton will not be joining us for the rest of his life. Well, for this week, anyway. <laughs> sorry. John is not available, so I have had to step in. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, John John wasn't able to make it today. Maybe he'll come back tomorrow. Maybe he'll be back on Friday. I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. But uh, for today, I, I you know at last minute had to find someone to fill in. So I got my uh, you know good buddy uh, Alan Sanders from the Wilder Ride to to fill in. So you know he did just give his uh, Jeeves impression. So he, <laughs> you know I, I I thought he was going to try and do an Australian. Uh, accent. No, 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 no. I was uh, I was doing my best to try to parody the line of uh, Alan Rickman there. No, obviously, uh, Mr. would not be joining us for the rest of his life. Yes, of course. But but thankfully, John is healthy. He's fine. He is. He is. Yeah. His brains are not all over the the you know the glass door behind him. At least I hope not. At least when we're recording it, not. Let's. That would would make me feel really awkward if that were the case. Well, that's because you're not really Hans Gruber. If you were really Hans Gruber, you wouldn't care. Right, that's another point. So thanks there for having go. me back. Seriously, in all in all uh, seriousness, I had such a blast weeks ago just basically getting the movie months underway. Months ago, months ago. <laughs> yeah, well, for weeks of uh, discussion, uh, weeks and weeks and weeks yes. of uh, films have gone by. But it's it's cool to be able to come back into one of the most amazing tension-filled scenes of the movie. Yes, yes, and I appreciate you uh, – you know, finding the time to, to you know, to, to join me for this uh, in John's absence. So episode 83 begins with uh, Hans interrupting the conversation and ends with Ellis trying to explain his plan to John. So the yesterday we, we basically, uh, you know, had the conversation between John and Al. And that ended. And then uh, we we just hear him, you know, we we hear Hans over the radio, and he starts saying, "Touching cowboy, touching," or should I call mm. you Mister McLean, Mister Officer John McLean of the New York Police Department? So, I mean, first of all, I love the way that they they do the segue because, you know, we we had the the break between yesterday and today, but. You know, the way that it flows in the movie is, you know, you have this conversation between Al and, and John, you know, where they're they're talking about Twinkies, which, uh, you know, we, we had a nice discussion yesterday about all the ingredients of Twinkies. And and then it's just, you know, then they end it with ice cream. And then right after that, we, we, we get a, uh, you know, we get Hans interrupting, you know, and I mean, like one of my biggest problems with this whole movie is the fact that. You know, it's always a party line. You know, it doesn't matter. Everyone, when they're talking on the radios, anyone can hear what they're saying. There's mm-hmm. no privacy whatsoever. Right. 
You know, no, you know what I like a lot about this scene right here, uh, the way it's shot, even as far as this coming from behind, is how well Bruce Willis is convincing us that the wheels are turning like a thousand miles an hour, even though he's not moving a lot. Like he's right. like, wait a minute, right. how did he learn this? What's happened? What new information? And you know, he's going to. Did Holly? Did they find out? Do they know? And He's doing such a good job of showing that there's a sense of maybe rising panic in him, and he's still trying to maintain control. To me, it's so just beautifully acted throughout this entire scenario. Yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah, I, great. I mean obviously, we're going to go through the rest of the week like this also, where we're going to have all this, this you know, where we're going to see all the tension of him trying to think as to, you know, how Hans has found this out and what information has been given out and stuff like that. But I mean, just as you said, we see him from behind, but as he's turning, you see his face and you see his, his body movements and everything and the way that, that everything just changes as he's doing that. So before we get into the whole conversation and stuff like that, I, I want to actually focus a little on the name. Okay. So this is one of the first times that, you know, someone will be mentioning the name of, of McLean, John McLean. You know, it's been mentioned in passing a little before. Uh, he's obviously been keeping his identity a secret, okay, uh, from from the terrorists and from the police. Uh, when he was introduced to, to, to Ellis, I think he was just known as John. Right, so how many people can you think of that said the name McLean? I mean, we had Argyle, who had the sign that said J. McLean, and he goes, yeah, I'm John McLean. And then Takagi says to him, you know, I'm... Uh, yes, you must be John John McLean. And then Ellis, mm -hmm. he introduces him. This is Holly's husband, Holly's police officer husband, John. I'm trying to remember if he says McLean there or not. Doesn't matter. But the bottom line is, is that well, I can't tell you is no matter what Ellis does know, it's McLean. He right. he has to know because well yes. we're gonna find out. But <laughs> that's but you're right. Uh, the moment and it's the policeman's instinct. The moment. It moves from awkward party to terrorist incident, hostage takeover, and he knows he's on a party line. He knows he can't let any information, period, not just because of Holly, but just in general. You don't want to give the enemy any advantage over you whatsoever. Correct. If you remain a mystery, if they've got no way to look you up or find any leverage against you, that that puts the deck more stacked in your side. He's already outnumbered, so he's got to at least have surprise and anonymity on his side to help him. Correct. Okay, so have you ever heard the name John McLean before, or McLean? Like, where where do you think the? Well, let's let, let's start differently. The derivation of the name McLean. Like, have yes. I done any <laughs> any genet or um? I uh, would call it uh genealogy. Genealogy. I haven't done any of the genealogy. Gene I cannot speak any of the genealogical research into the history and origins of McLean. Yes. Yes. But I'm assuming you have. Because of course I, I have. Of course I have. <laughs> okay, so obviously it's it, – okay, where do you think the name comes from? Well, it sounds to me Irish, um, and I don't know if he ever says it in the other movies, but I just got the sense that he's sort of like an Irish beat cop or that he's got an Irish background. Okay, well, first of all, it's Scottish. Well, there we go. I'm completely <laughs> wrong, and I start off the day really on a good note. Yeah, so it's it's a Scottish name that actually means a devotion to St. John, okay, which is very interesting that his first name is also John, okay? There's – I'm not going to start trying to pronounce the, the, the Gaelic uh, 
you know, <laughs> name that it comes from. It was anglicized from a Gaelic, a Gaelic uh, term. Um, they, the clan known as McLean were found in the, the, on the Western Isles. And uh, they were in, mostly in the, the Western Hebrides. Okay. Um, again, I'm not going to go into too much uh, detail about it, but, you know, they, they can trace it back to the 1400s. That's how far back it goes. Now, do you know the various spellings of the name McLean? Uh, the only two that I know, and that's only because thanks to MASH, we had McLean Stevenson. I believe you've got the typical MC, C-L-A-I-N, which is, a, is John McLean's character. Then you have M-C-L-E-A-N, like McLean, but you'd say McLean. And then you've right. got the M-A-C versus just the M-C, so M-A-C-L-A-I-N-E. Um, I don't know any other spellings outside of that. Maybe M A C L E A N, just uh, instead of the M C C L E A N. So McLean. There's McLean, a lot of them. McLean. There's a but let's put it this way. There's a lot of them. There's there's McLean M A C L E A N. There's McLean M A C L A I N E, which there's a famous actress who spells her name that way, Shirley McLean. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then you have uh, M A C L A N E. M-A-C-L-E-A-N-E, M-A-C-Clean, C-L-E-A-N, M-A-C-Clean, C-L-A-I-N. Then you have another variation that they add an E there. And the original is, again, it's Gaelic, so it's M-A-C-G-H-I-L-L-E. So... And by the then, way, if it's Gaelic, it could be Irish and Scottish origin. Well, one second, let me, let me finish with that. Some okay, of the McLean family actually moved to Ireland. Okay, so at some point there was a split, and okay. part of them went to Ireland. So they, it is possible he's I'm an not Irish guy. Totally <laughs> no, you're you're not totally wrong. Okay, I like the fact that he's Scottish better for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, that's cool. <laughs> okay, and when do you think the Mac- people from the McLean? clan started settling in the u.s oh uh probably somewhere in the 1800s so you know the 18th century no the 18th century is the 1700s so you see you, you're right in yeah, one of those right. you're right with one of those okay so <laughs> i'll go with the one that's right <laughs> so yes you're right it's the 18th century <laughs> the first known name of someone named mclean was a woman named janet mclean uh, who showed up in Pennsylvania in 1746. Wow. And, you've done some research here. And interestingly, there is a John McLean who arrived in New York in 1823. I don't know any information about him. I don't think he's a, a detective from the NYPD. I found, I think, 10 pages of famous people named McLean. <laughs> so I don't really think we're going to go through those. <laughs> it's probably a good idea. It's, it's apparently... Much more popular than I thought. I, I didn't think it was such a popular name, you know, but apparently it is. Now, how many John McLeans do you think there are on IMDb? <laughs> I have no, 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 I have, don't know. So, again, it's spelled in, in different ways, but when you do a search for the name John McLean, you get 112 results. Okay, when okay. I went through them, some of them. Are, are clearly not John McLean. There's like John McClary shows up there. I don't know why. Uh, so my, my guess is, is that there are close to, there, 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 there are a lot. 
Okay, John McClane, as you spell it in the movie, there's only three. All okay. right, there is one who's an editor, one who is a location manager, and one who appears as himself. So it's a, it's a, and he's actually the first one. He's he's an activist, and he's in the movie uh, named or in a TV series called Rotten. That you know he has a credit in 2019, but that that's all it is. There's not really any information about him besides that. So again, we're not going to go into all of them. The like the the M C C L A I N. I was able to find that there are 19 of them. You know, including one who was a contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. So I I I would love to see that episode just to see if they actually even bring up the 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 idea. You know, are you related to John McClane from Die Hard? You know, I could just imagine Regis asking them that type of question or something like that. Sure. <laughs> right. Okay. So back back to Die Hard. <laughs> well, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Die Hard in, in this episode. So. At this point, John, you can see that he's somewhat shocked, you know, about the fact that, that Hans has some information. And then we, we get a quick cut to, to Thornburg, who turns to an assistant and says, get on the phone to Harry in New York. And the answer mm-hmm. is, got it. Now, for me, this is really funny listening to this, because listening to him say this, because nowadays he wouldn't have to get in touch with someone there. He would just Google it. Right. You know, but you know, 34 years ago, they didn't have Google. <laughs> so they had to actually call somebody, actually call somebody. Now, here's something that I think you, I always come at it. I know you've got the the detail and some of the nuance of what's going on outside of the storyline. I like how, while we've got the very slow camera to his back, Hans is speaking slowly. John is reacting slowly, even though you get the sense the wheels are turning. These two jump cuts we get to both Al and then, of course, Thornburg, we're talking about first, are like so hyper quick. It's like, quick, get on the phone and do this. Hey, follow up and do this. And then it comes back. So we are constantly given this cinematic view of there's still action happening out outside of the scene while everything has slowed down for us in this moment. And I think from an editing perspective, really adds to what's happening in the scene. So that way, John doesn't have to be moving fast. We get the sense his wheels are spinning in his head, but there's people outside reacting very quickly to what's happening with this new information. Yeah, but what's yeah. what's really but interesting about really that is I think at this point they're they're trying to just also to remind us, even though we're just just see him for for three or four seconds, they want to remind us that Thornburg's there. You know, he's in yeah. in some ways he's a minor character, but he he has a very strong impact on the entire plot. So just showing him for three he's seconds also- helps. Right, but he also rep- – and, and not, not disagreeing. I think he also represents that piece of information. We know everyone's watching the news. This is something on television right now. He's the on-site reporter. He represents that window from the news media into what's happening too. So you're right. He's a kind of a minor character, but he does add that element of everyone wants to know what's happening. So we're also kind of now eavesdropping on that very phone call, on that very radio, everybody on the party line. Right, but but on the other hand, Thornburg's listening to to the radio, but he's he's not right now uh, recording for the news. No, no, I didn't mean that he's doing anything live, but he represents that piece that we'd be looking at the television to see what's happening. So it's just a cutaway 
to remind us that the media is also observing what's happening and they're trying to find out and they want to run to the TV. They want to have their version of the story. So uh, to me, storytelling is one thing, but when you add it cinematically, when you, when you have an editor who can very artfully take pieces like this, keep the main story going, but remind us who's on the outside, who's listening and that there is action happening, even in the main scene, even if the main scene's not, it's just, I think is another reason why we're talking about this movie so many years down the road from when it first hit. Yes. Okay. That's true. There's no question about that. And, and, and then the next shot is a shot of Al doing the same thing. You know, Al turns to, to the guy next to him and says, better get a hold of someone to dispatch. You know, he, he wants also this information. You know, who is John McClane? We know that he's a policeman. That's all we know. Or that he does something for the police department in New York. Right. Or at the very least, because they're all hearing this at the exact same time. They're all wanting to vet it. Is it true? If it is, who's he with? Where is he from? What's yeah, it's a scramble for information while these other two principal characters are going to have this very slow, methodical conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I I think Al at this point is is also giving himself credit for the fact that, okay, I I knew he was a cop. Yeah, I was right. No, I. Al plays this so well. I didn't get a chance to talk a lot about him uh, because obviously he wasn't in the scenes that I was. He wasn't in, in the um, movie at that point. <laughs> no, he hadn't even shown up yet. I think for a guy who Reginald Van Johnson, who kind of moved Val more Johnson. toward Val Johnson, sorry, uh, who moved more toward television, kind of sitcom, very light, did such a good job with this movie conveying a lot of that street cop sense and. We always feel the whole time we're watching him that there's something that he's not yet telling us, we, which we'll get to his story, which I, I love. Little pieces just sort of unfold, and it only is because he does such a good job with the narrative of playing that cop who we don't know his history yet, but we know there's more depth to him. He's not just a two-dimensional kind of a stock television character. Right. In this role, he's really, really good. Yeah, for sure. And then it, it continues with the it go, it, then the shot goes back to John, and we we see him say, "Sister Teresa called me Mr. McLean in third grade. My friends call me John. You're neither." <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's a great line, but but something oh. seems off about the whole thing because, like, you know, first of all, the, you know, they establish here that that uh, that he's Catholic because he must have got, he went to he went to Catholic school. Uh, you know, if he if he was in a class with Sister Teresa, you mm-hmm. know, and then you know, th- there's there's a lot in between third grade and friends. You know that <laughs> you know if the, he he makes it sound as if these are the only two type of people that talk to him. You know, right? Well, when you think about it, a sister Sister Teresa would be considered an authority figure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and of course, she would have referred to him as Mr. McLean, and you you can't think of it in a good way. Right. And his right. friends, his friends are allowed to call him John. And this guy is neither an authority that he recognizes. You're not you're not Mr. you're not this woman that I looked up to as a teacher and you're not a friend. You're neither. <laughs> right. You know, he's basically right. saying you're nothing to me, which is his only play right now. Correct. Cuz he just got right. had. He just got outed. Right. He's got nothing left. Right except to try to make it sound like it doesn't matter to him and that you, Hans, are nothing to me. Right. I, and I don't think it hurts Hans's feelings, but, I mean, as far as just, eh, you know, you just want to say something, it's a pretty good comeback line. Yeah, for sure. 
<laughs> now, okay, what do you, what do you know about the term? <laughs> you come up with some of the strangest questions. <laughs> I have never really sat down much like I didn't check out the derivation of the history of the word McLean or the family line. It's never bothered me. I've just kind of always known. <laughs> See, I'm, so I'm here. Me. I'm here to you know to, to enlighten everyone. <laughs> you. And and entertained because I have no idea where the term came from or when it was even first used. What what gets me is the the fact that everyone knows that this is how I do it, and my guests are still shocked when I keep uh, you know springing things like this on them. So I mean, it's fun. I'm not complaining. I love it because you know what? No matter how much I think I can prepare for what you're going to ask me, I cannot. <laughs> so half the times. If I'm right on something, it's only because I knew it. It's not because I researched it or because I had it in front of me. I just have to wing it. Correct. So it is a derogatory term for a person who is ignorant, narrow-minded, cruel, or unintelligent. It's generally considered to be a vulgar and profane term. Okay. You think? Uh, yeah, yeah. I would think so. <laughs> Apparently, you don't go, you don't Wikipedia, go Wikipedia also thinks hey, so. Ma teacher gave me an award she said i was the biggest <laughs> head in fifth grade Woohoo! That's not, that's not how it works <laughs> exactly <laughs> now did, did you know that there's a card game called <laughs> head? oh you know what now that you say that i th uh, there's like a, on the on the edge of my like remembering my kids when they hit middle school learned a game called <laughs> head. i think it's a card game isn't it yes yeah. Oh, I say I personally have never played it because at the time I heard of the game, I didn't feel like I was being a good parent to condone or encourage it. I'd probably play with them now because they're adults. But as kids, I was like, you know what, you guys, you just keep the door closed. I don't want to know. I'm going to turn the TV up a little louder. <laughs> exactly. So it's also a game known as Karma, Palace, or Shed. Those are the other names of it. And it's a card game where the object is to to lose all of your cards. And whoever still has uh whoever's the last person left in the game who hasn't lost their cards they're known as the mm -hmm. okay it uh became popular among backpackers in the late 20th century and uh but there are obviously various uh changes in the rules you know uh for different regions and stuff like that which 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 is par for the course with with a lot of different card games i'm not going to go in and explain uh, the game itself you know, even, even though it would be fun, but, but still. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, that's uh, now that you, you mentioned earlier about the, the origin of the term and stuff like that. So I, I spent way too much time trying to find it and I couldn't. So I, I don't know when, who first used the term. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it probably wasn't John McLean. I would, I would give, you can't, we can't give him credit for it. You know, I, it, this, this is where now you've got my wheels spinning. Did it start off as a derogatory what do you have you know for brains or did it you know how far back was it is your are your brains made of you know of dung and then it just kind of turned into rather than you know brains you're just saying in general your head and it became just head i don't know it's it's interesting because now now i'm wondering where did it come from all right well so, so i kept i kept you uh you know on pins and needles you know long enough so i actually <laughs> Oh, you I actually do know where it is. <laughs> yes. Okay. So it was it was originally used in uh, 1910. That was the first okay. time it was recorded, and uh, basically it 
was just a, you know, uh, as you said, it's it's the idea of just calling someone stupid. So you're like your head is full of <laughs> that type of thing. You know, that sometimes it's an unlikable person, but it's pretty pretty much just a a, a stupid person. Yeah, almost That's like what it comes your, out. your head's person. full of manure, or that you you spout nothing but diarrhea. Yeah. Like you're just you're you're full of stupidity. You're full of muck. You're full of dumb. You're full of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> or your head is full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> now I I mean I remember as as a kid there was there was uh, one of our neighbors that she, she wouldn't stop talking and and one of her teachers actually said to her you have diarrhea of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> She, she was a little offended by that for obvious reasons. Yeah, that's definitely a term usually used for someone who won't shut up. They just keep talking and talking yes. and talking. And it's, uh, even, and it's not even engaging. It's usually nonsense or just drivel. You're just like, would you just shut up? <laughs> well, is, is what we're talking about here considered nonsense or drivel? <laughs> or it's entertaining. It so it's listener. not just... <laughs> That's true. I, I think I think the, the listeners who don't appreciate it have have turned off long ago, <laughs> seasons ago. <who> knows? <laughs> seasons. <laughs> oh goodness. Who knows? Right. So then it continues, and and we, we hear Hans say, and I love how they do this because we don't see who Hans is talking about, and we, we hear Hans say, "I have someone who wants to talk to you." Oh, a very special friend. Yeah, and. The first time that you're seeing this, you're—I mean, we know that Ellis is in the room, but you know, your first thought is that Ellis has squealed, and that Holly is now there. Right. You know that that he's decided the best way to negotiate this is to to bring right. her See, in. I, we don't know that he's necessarily the one in the room. You're right. The last we saw is he's like, I can give him to you, and the 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 <laughs> talk about <laughs> the <laughs> eating grin he gives. Yes, and we, he sits down in the chair. He's making himself comfortable. But you don't have any idea because we cut away and we're gone just long enough. Did he say, hey, you want to get to John? Go through Holly. Holly's his wife. We don't know that. We're, And I can guarantee you the way Bruce Willis is carrying off his performance, that's what he thinks. He thinks it's going to be Holly in the room. Yeah. And and we see his face. He He's concerned. He thinks it's Holly. You know, he like closes his eyes in a way, you know, like, oh, crap. Right. It's they it's a, it's a it's it's a it's like a sense of resignation, like, oh, I all the work to try to hide who I am to protect her. And now she's been found out. I mean, that's the feeling you get. That's what he emotes as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. And he does it great. And then that we get to see Hans and then he takes the the radio and and hands it over to somebody over the over over the desk. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really it's really too bad that this wasn't the end of the minute. Because that would have been a great cliffhanger, you know. Who's he? Who's he taking? Who's he handing the, you know, the walkie-talkie to? And and then like Ellis takes. We, we see Ellis, so there we're relieved that it's Ellis instead of instead of Holly at this point. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, it shocks the audience in some ways that Ellis Ellis is just completely confident in everything that he's doing. You know, and as he takes the radio he even like nods and acknowledges hans as if he's a business partner right you know like, almost hey. as equals like hey we're here in this together you and i right right booba right boobala whatever he's what he calls it what do you what do you yeah. say to him hans uh, no bubba bubba bub, no he said bubby bub booby booby which booby. we discussed earlier in the week hans booby i'm your white knight that's right 
Um, I love the shot as it because the camera, like you said, follows the the radio, the transmitter mm-hmm. over to the handoff. Ellis has almost a laid back in the chair. He's got one knee over the other leg, very comfortable, almost cocky. What I love in the background is you've got, you know, the main henchman Carl, basically. Carl, Carl is also is, got, is very comfortable there. He's got he, his foot up. But rather than one leg crossed, he's got one knee up, one on the ground. He's ready to spring up at a moment's notice. Ellis would not yeah. be able to jump out of that chair. Carl, no. he's going to be able to leap in an instant if he needs to. And there's a guy right behind him holding the machine gun. It's an ominous backdrop. And Ellis is just yeah. completely just Fritz. Fritz is awareness of this. Yeah. Yeah, they, they they just do it really, really well. And even the way Ellis, he doesn't even like talk like how Hans was holding the radio or how John's holding the radio, like a typical walkie-talkie. He wants to like act like, look how cool I am. I'm going to flip it around and act like I've done this all the time, which basically yes. makes it look like he's never done it before in his life. But he's, 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 he's performing. He's literally acting the part of I can get us through this because this is what I do every day for business deals. And he has yeah. no knowledge that that's great in the boardroom. That's not going to work here. He he doesn't have a sense of what's about to happen. Correct. Cause he, he looks at, at Hans and sees him as this suave and sophisticated man. So he must be a businessman. Mm-hmm. You know, he, and I think he, he doesn't so realize that it's And Ellis is so used to talking his way into getting whatever he wants he doesn't assume anything that he that this could fail. He doesn't have a sense that there's uh, any pending bad outcome in his mind. I'm going to sail to the victory. I'm going to be the hero, and you guys are all going to give me like you know claps on the back and call me friend. Yeah, exactly. For me, as an audience member, I'm like screaming at the screen, "What are you doing? How are you this dumb?" Which adds <laughs> tension. So now we've got the tension of john and hans having this conversation and you know it's a cat and mouse game they're playing this cat and mouse game where they're all trying to figure out who's going to confuse or outwit the other one who's going to make the mistake and then there's ellis going there bobo i'm just going to come in here (laughs) what an idiot so 4d chess over here (laughs) ellis is playing battleship battleship they're playing battleship kind of like that yeah um (laughs) But but Ellis, you just as as an audience, I'm tense already, and now I'm screaming, "What are you doing? You're screwing this all up!" So it gets me as an audience member, even though I've seen this movie a hundred times, I get the same reaction: "What are you doing, Ellis? Stop it!" Exactly. <laughs> and at this point, you know, Hans continues and says, "I have someone who wants to talk to you, a very special friend, who is with you at the party tonight." And then Ellis's response is, hey, John boy. Now, for me, that, that's just hilarious because, you know, it reminds me it's it's a Walton's reference to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder hey, if that's, you know, if that's what Ellis is, is trying to evoke here. Uh, you know, I, I didn't I've never thought of it consciously that it was a Walton's reference or anything. I always just thought of it as Ellis trying to play like the whole frat boy. I've got a I'm almost treating him like he's a a junior or somebody who's a lesser than him. So he's just calling him John boy. Like it shows familiarity, but almost to the sense of talking down to him. Right. Right. Well, again, part of the whole thing with the Waltons is why was he called John boy? Cause he's the oldest son and the father's name was John. Right. So he's, you know, instead of calling him John junior, they just called him John boy. You know? So, I mean, again, it goes back to the, 
the backwater, uh, you know, type of, of lifestyle that the Waltons had. Mm-hmm. You know, living living up on Walton Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and th- that was played by uh, Richard Thomas. For anyone who di- who didn't know, who who played uh, John Boy in that. <laughs> so, you know, Ellis overly confident here, and then. Immediately, John recognizes his voice and goes, Ellis. Yeah, and what I like is he takes just a beat to go, wait a minute. I was expecting a female voice. It's not. That's right. And then there's that second of like, wait a minute. I know that voice. Only one <laughs> shit head talks like that. <laughs> but, no, there's another <laughs> head in the room because Hans is the <laughs> I know. But I the, 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 the sudden recognition of Ellis and like he's got that squint of like, Wait a minute. Now it's, it's it's a new wrinkle now to the problem. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean for me the biggest question was is okay, you know, how much have Holly and John spoken over the last 6 months? You know, we know that he hasn't come to visit. Right. And I'm assuming that he at some point is calling to, you know, to talk to to uh, you know, to to John Jr. and Lucy at some point. You know, I don't think he's completely ignoring them for six months. And I'm assuming he's had some conversations with Holly. So I wonder if Ellis ever came up in the conversation. You know, that there's this guy that, that, that I'm working with named Ellis. I mean, we all talk about colleagues at work. You know, you, obviously they're, they're, they're somewhat of an estranged couple. But, but still, you know, I'm assuming they're have, still having some sort of conversation at I'm some gonna point. I'm going to go with likely not only because I don't think John cared and I don't know that she would have said anything because am I only the only thing I'm going to hang that comment on is when John does show up and they have that scene you know the the last minute I was on with you where they were in the 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 executive bathroom the executive washroom and he said Ellis's he's got an eye on you He's like, keep it, be careful. Right. He's got an eye, he's got his eye out on you. And she's like, well, I've got his eye, I've got my out for his private bathroom. But I think that's the very first time John got an inkling of not only Ellis, but that Ellis has a predatory nature. I think right. if he had caught okay. that earlier, he might have flown that's out fair. to LA sooner. Mm, I think I John's know. that kind of a man again, he was... that if he felt there was another man getting ready to go after his wife, even if he's pissed at her, he's not about to let somebody like muscle in. That it just strikes me as that kind okay. of a guy, like that Could kind be. of a personality. Okay, that's fair. I, I, that's fair. So then Ellis continues talking. Goes, yeah. Now listen, John. They're giving me a few minutes to talk some sense into you. I know you think you're doing your job, and I can appreciate that. But you're just dragging this thing out. Now look. And that's how the the, the minute will end. Okay, but you see that he's in his negotiation mm-hmm. mode. Everything that he says here is in order to try and convince John to to give up. You know, he's basically saying, I appreciate where he's, he's, you know, he's talking, he's not talking down to John at this point. You know, before when he says John boy, as you mentioned, it's more of, he's talking down to him a little bit. But it could also be that, that with John boy, maybe since they're supposedly friends for a long time, that this is a, a friendly right. nickname between right. the two of them. No, yeah, I, I, I and I, if I said it incorrectly, I, I wanted to say it's both familial, like fraternity, like they may have grown up together or been in school together, but it also puts him kind of on a lower, like you're not my equal. We may have been to school together, but I'm negotiating. You need to listen to me. 
Right. One of the things I love, uh, and if you watch film, and of course you have astutely, as, and anybody who likes the movies by minutes, I don't. I don't watch. I don't watch don't, movies at all. Yeah, liar. Sometimes it is far <laughs> more interesting to leave camera on the person who's listening to the other actor rather than show the other actor. And so, what I like is for a good five, six, maybe even seven seconds, it's on Bruce Willis from when he goes Ellis, and you hear those first few sentences that we just you just mentioned from the script. That's all mm-hmm. coming through the walkie-talkie. So we get to see the reaction of Bruce Willis's character, of John McClane, yeah. versus watching Ellis deliver the whole monologue or the whole couple of lines here. We do cut back to him, but once again, from a filmmaking perspective, it is far more interesting to see how those words are being heard and the reaction versus who's delivering them. And Yeah. For sure. And it creates, there's, there's no once again, here's this guy. We, if you remember, you and I talked about many, many, many weeks ago. Bruce Willis was like, are we going to take a chance on this guy in a big movie? I mean, he did okay with Moonlighting, but the couple of movies he's tried have all failed. They didn't even want to put his face on the poster. They were like, oh, <laughs> we got Bruce Willis. He can't carry a movie. Look at the acting he's doing. Maybe, maybe yeah. he himself knew. And I would love to know going behind the scenes, did he like say to himself, if I don't make this role work, I'll never work again? Or am I going to be relegated to just TV? He is working so hard at being an on-screen presence. He's not just a two-dimensional action hero. There's depth and and texture and thinking happening to him. And I love that the camera's staying on him for that reason. Yeah, I mean, this is only this is one of the few movies where he has that, but yeah. <laughs> he you know, he had a lot more potential as as a a real actor, but he decided to just go well, with I think the he's action done, films. I think he's you know, done a good amount of other for. acting, but I think this movie, the reason it works so well, again, for so many, many decades and for so many new audiences. I mean, I introduced this movie to my kids. We it's it's our holiday tradition. We're gonna at some point, whoever's at the house, we're gonna be watching Die Hard heading up to Christmas Eve or maybe even Christmas Eve. And to captivate an mm-hmm. audience of multi-generations, there's got to be more to it than just a two-dimensional action movie. There's got to be character and story and depth and good yeah. acting, as well as the good action and good music and everything else. So he's this movie hooked me into Bruce Willis. This movie, I was like, wow, this guy is yeah. really, really good. And he doesn't look like an action hero. He doesn't act he doesn't act like at the time. Think about it when this movie came out. We were in the golden age of Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Right? Jean-Claude Van Damme. And Van right. Damme. I mean, he was completely the ordinary, everyday guy. That's right. That's why it works so well. All right. You have anything else you want to say about this movie before we get into uh, the script? Let me see if I get to this last. You just drag. Yeah, we don't want to drag this thing out where Ellis leaves the line. <laughs> but what I like is just as this minute ends, because <laughs> we do cut to Ellis saying just a few more lines, we're reminded where Ellis is. And then in comparison to where John is, we end the minute with John now walking away from camera. So at the minute we started, his back was to camera and his head slowly turned around with recognition that his identity or his, his um, pseudonym had been called out. His his, uh, you know, his, he, he'd been mm-hmm. his, his. Yeah, his anonymity Not was now stripped and we're ending the minute 60 seconds later. Now, once again, moving away from camera. And I, it's just kind of a nice little moment yeah. here in this minute yeah it's a, it's a very nice bookend the way that they do that there for sure 
so the, the script, there are a few discrepancies here. So first of all, after Hans says to him, you know, that Mr. Officer John McLean of the NYPD, it says McLean freezes. How much do they know? And then it says, and then they, they show Thornburg and it says reacts gleeful, writing down the name. And then he turns to his assistant and goes, uh, get on the phone to our New York affiliate. Move, move. So again, the change doesn't make a difference. You know, I, I like it better the way that it is in the movie. And then after he mentions who who John is, so it says McLean fighting to stay calm. Sister Teresa in third grade called me Mr. McLean. My friends call me John Mack. You're neither. I'm glad they <laughs> cut it down to just John. Who 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 anywhere yeah. called him John Mack? Not a single John person Mack. in this movie. Even his wife calls him just John. That's right, right. No, but it's John Mack as in McLean. Right, right. You know? I get why well, right. no, I get that. But nobody called him that. So I don't I'm glad they just left it as uh, my friends call me John. Yeah. I mean, it works better. Right. And then after Hans mentions that someone who was at the party with you, it says McLean's face falls. Oh God, eyes closed. He waits for the voice that tells him it's all over. And they mm-hmm. do have John Boy in there. And then it then it says McLean's eyes open, showing equal parts of shock and hope. In the office, camera just to show Ellis as Hans gives him the CV. And then there, there's there's one more slight little thing. It says that at this point, right before Ellis is about to start talking, it says Ellis has a cigarette in his hand and a terrorist brings him a Diet Coke. So later in the week, no. we'll talk about what he's drinking. It's not a Diet Coke, but, uh, you know, I, I, it's too bad they didn't have him smoking a cigarette because that would show he's even more comfortable and that, you know, he's somewhat being accepted by by Hans, you know, much, much easier. The only thing that – and I don't know because you've been going through the script. Whatever choice was made early on, we never see Ellis smoke at all. So it would it may have seemed a little out of context. We've seen him do coke. Yes. <laughs> no pun intended. You're about, about to have a coke. But yes. we uh, we don't see him ever smoke. We, in fact, I don't know how many people we see at all besides John McClane. It almost would have taken away – from when our main hero uses the smoke as a way of dealing with the tension and the stress he's, you know, and then there's this, this, the shared scene later with him and Hans, but yeah, which I think in like two weeks, we'll talk about that where, where Hans does take a cigarette, but I don't, I don't think really anybody. No, I think I take that back. Didn't, uh, Carl's brother. No have a cigarette at one point. He had, no, he had a pack of cigarettes because he had John, the cigarettes on him. John okay. took it from him and said, these are bad for you. Uh, these are very these are very bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I, I this is one of those moments where th- we had this discussion. I know we're dragging this out a little bit, but we had this discussion in the movie Jaws. There's a scene we know that when the lifeguard gets eaten, there was a scene shot where the lifeguard is actually kind of in the mouth of the shark. You don't see the shark; you see the fin, and he's heading toward uh, Brody's son. And all of a sudden, all this blood's coming out of his mouth, and he pushes the sun away, which is why the sun is in shock. It's almost like the lifeguard, as his as his last dying move, kind of, him. you know, pushes the kid away. But it, it's a scene of a shark squeezing down on someone's innards, and you've got blood popping out of his mouth. Spielberg made the choice to get rid of that, and people were asking me, you know, well, what's your opinion? I'm like, well, it would have taken away from Quint's shocking moment at the end because yeah. we've already seen that. Same thing here. I don't think you have 
two people where your main hero uses cigarettes as a way of kind of passing the time and relieving the stress. I like that Ellis didn't have it. So a long, yeah. a long extra bit of discussion to say I'm glad they cut that. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm I'm fine either way. You know, it, it works well even without it. We we know that that Ellis, let's put it this way, um, Hart Bachner does a great job uh, making Ellis seem like a real prick. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> you know, he's he's very high on himself, pun intended, and you know he doesn't need the cigarette to show that. He's able to show right. it even without it. He he comes across as a very oily, just a, just this. He's just a oh he he does it as an actor. He's doing exactly what he should do. Yes, I just oh everything about this guy just curls my skin, but he does a great job with it. Yeah. All right. So every Wednesday we have a segment called uh, uh, Hans Humpte, where my guests will give their top five Alan Rickman films and. Since Alan already gave us his months and months and months ago, so I, I asked John, even though he wasn't able to join us today, to, to give me his list. So I'm just going to read off the list because I don't have any explanations as to why he chose each of these movies in this, these slots, but we'll still give it. So his number five of best Alan Rickman movie is Quigley Down Under. His number Good four flick. is Dogma. His number three, oh, yeah. his number three is Love Actually. Oh, great his number movie. two is Robin Hood. And his number one was really surprising. It's a movie I rarely have heard on these lists. It's uh, this little movie from 1988 called Die Hard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> barely a passing mention. Very few people understand who that that movie, where yeah. that movie even comes from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, John, thank you for sending me that list. And we will now add that to the to the tallies that we're going to do uh you know, at the end of the season. So, Alan, uh, you want to tell people how they can find you, how they can get in touch with you. So, yeah, the, uh, the show that I started with, uh, at least for the first two seasons, me and my co-host, Walt Murray, uh, we started a show, uh, a, a podcast called The Wilder Ride because we were looking at the movies of Gene Wilder. So whether you go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just Google it or search for a podcast, it's the same everywhere. Just look for The Wilder Ride. First uh, season, we did Young Frankenstein, and the second season, we broke down Blazing Saddles, one minute of the movie at a time. All right. Excellent. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, or you can go directly to my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, uh, Alan, you feel like coming back again tomorrow if if John isn't able to make it? If if John can't make it, you know what? I can go. Uh, I've been crawling around in the duck work for a while here. I'd be happy to come on back. And you know, what? maybe I'll even give you me a Coke if you want. There you go. And a smile. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> absolutely. All right, great. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay. Yippee ki yay. 